Today we're going to be talking about my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't know if you remember stories from your parents at all about their childhood. I, sometimes my, my kids will ask me, or Jen, they'll ask us, tell us a story about when you were a kid. You know, and so we try to think up, uh, what have we not told them, you know, and we try to tell them stories. And it can be a really fun thing for kids to hear stories about their parents. For uh, a period of my parents' life, they were not walking with the Lord, didn't know the Lord yet. And uh, there's some spectacular fight stories that I've heard from my dad (laughs) about uh, fights that he got into. And uh, we don't promote that around here. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 58 talks about uh, in uh, how the Lord doesn't hear the prayers of Israel because all their fasting ends in beating each other with wicked fists. Like, what kind of fasting ends in, pe- <laughs> in a brawl? But uh, there's these stories that I used to lo- actually love to hear, the adventures of, of uh, my dad's tussling, or, you know, my, I had uncles the same way, and I would hear about these situations they got themselves into and sometimes got themselves out of, sometimes not. And uh, I don't know if that was just like a warrior gene in me or just a little boy thing that I like to hear that. But, you know, um, it's good for a child to know that their parent, especially their dad, that there's strength there. It's good to know that. There's a, there's a feeling of safety within that. It's also good to, to think in terms of heroics and those who will uh, take courage and adventurously do what needs to be done to protect family, to protect what's right, to stand up for what's good. And that's an important thing. In, a, in an age that's void of, of positive heroes in many ways, it is an awesome thing if someone can look to their father as a picture of strength and a heroic figure who will stand up for what's right. That's an awesome thing. And it it's a, it's a, becomes more and more rare these days, but when it's seen, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And when it comes to our Father God and those who have displayed themselves as true followers of him, you can look at the patriarchs of the faith and you see this amazing thing that they made themselves famous over. Many of the patriarchs made themselves famous over this phrase right here. This is, we're talking about Moses, we're talking about Elijah, David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of them, they stood in the face of all the threats that were around them. And in essence, what they said was, I'm not afraid of you. My dad can beat up your dad. And that's what they said. I want to remind us of a few of those stories as we get started. And then we'll, have, we'll, we'll read from Hebrews and have a prayer in just a minute. But I want to remind us of a few of these stories. And uh, I'm going to be flying through them. And I didn't give these uh, scriptures to the, the people in the back. So, um, If you have your Bible and you want to try to follow along, that's fine. We're going to be in Exodus first, in Exodus 14, and uh, just in uh, verse 10 to 12, there's this awesome moment where Israel's being chased where they're backed up against the Red Sea, and this spectacular, spectacular moment of needing to depend on the Lord. Exodus 14, 10 to 14. When Pharaoh drew near. That word pharaoh is a popular one right now. Anybody know about that? The American pharaoh, yeah, triple crown, that's a popular one. I was like, what a weird name to name your horse. Pharaoh, American pharaoh. I was like, I don't know about all that. But anyway, when pharaoh, verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 10, 
when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. It's the greatest army on earth at the time. You know, this would be this would be if we looked up and we saw an invasion of fighter jets coming over and tanks rolling in, it would put massive fear into us. We saw bombers going overhead. If we were to see it, and the kind of fear that we would have, this is what happened. They saw the chariots of the Egyptian army coming. They lift their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. No kidding. I mean, these people were not warriors. They were slaves. They had no weapons, nothing, and they're backed up against the Red Sea. And listen to what the people of Israel say. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. We want to be slaves. We didn't want to come out of here. We knew it was hard, but we knew that you were crazy, that no one can break the Egyptian bondage off of us. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Well, that doesn't sound like Patrick Henry now, does it? And Moses said to the people, listen to what he said, Fear not. Stand Firm. Some faith. This is some confidence right here. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Love that. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord, listen, this is it right here. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. (laughs) My dad can beat up your dad, is what Moses just said. He said, listen, our dad can beat up the gods of the Egyptians. Our dad can take Pharaoh and put him in his place. You're afraid of what you see here, but you will never see that again. But the one who you can't see, trust him. Trust him. 10 to 14, and then it moves on. You hear the, you know how the story goes and, uh, and what all happens and, and how God closes the water back up on the Egyptians. And then in verse 30, after it's all over, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Now listen, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. They saw all the Egyptians laying there dead. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Here's how this works. When dad goes to bat for us, and he protects us, and he flexes his muscles against our enemies, he destroys our enemies, and all of a sudden we can feel safe and secure from our enemies. The flip side is, is then we start to fear dad a little bit, right? Because we're like, uh, if dad can do that, what can he do to me? And both of those things are positive things in the scripture. Because what God is trying to do is say, I will protect you from your enemies. On the other hand, I will stand for what is right. 
stand with me, you know? And uh, so let's move on. Uh, let's look at another one. First Samuel 17. You know this one. We're hitting like all the big ones. Okay, this is, we're hitting like the, like five, four or five huge ones here this morning. So it, uh, here we are with David and Goliath. And you know what's been going on? Goliath has been mocking the whole camp and David comes to bring food to his brothers and everyone's kind of shaking in their boots as there's this huge monster of a man who's bellowing out, bring me your best warrior. I win, you serve us. Your man wins, we serve you. Let's do this, you know? Everybody's like, oh, there's no way we can handle this guy. It's not going to happen until little David comes along. He's talking to King Saul in 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. And David said, this is to Saul, who says, there's no way this is going to happen, buddy. And this is what David says. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion... And from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He doesn't even call him Goliath or the giant. This Philistine. And Saul, surprisingly, said to David, go and the Lord be with you. (laughs) You're going to need him. Okay. So uh, we also know what happens there. So David sheds the armor of Saul and all that. Fast forward down to verse 45. He is standing on the battlefield, not face to face, like face to knee with Goliath. And David said to the Philistine, this is in verse 45, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Listen to the boldness with which he says this. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. (laughs) Whoa! And he keeps going. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. Faith. My dad can take you out. And he will. That's what he said. He stared at the giant straight at his kneecap and told him that. What's awesome is, is after David kills him and everything goes the way it says, this is a bizarre moment here. Listen to this. It's at the end of the chapter, if you get down to, uh, <clears throat> to verse 57 and 58. As soon as David returned from striking down, the striking down of the Philistine, Abner, that's the, the general of the army, took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. <laughs> what? He's carrying a head in his hand. And Saul said to him, listen, catch it. Whose son are you, young man? <laughs> you ever seen someone do incredible in academics or in music or in athletics? And, and then you're like, wait, whose kid is that? Whose kid is that? That's kind of a natural question to ask. And this is what Saul says. He says, whose son are you? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. But listen, 
What's starting to appear in this moment is something that's very profound about King David. You know, one thing that's unique to David across the entire pages of the Old Testament is there's only one figure in the whole Old Testament who refers to God as father and God refers to him as son. And that's King David. And this question after he drops, King, the, after he drops the, the Philistine Goliath, the question that comes to him as he's holding Goliath's head right here is, whose son are you? And he says, I'm Jesse's. But we hear underneath of that in the story, I'm God's kid. You see this? My dad did that. My dad did that. We see a confidence growing in how strong his father is. Okay? Let's look at another one of the biggies in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, this is Israel has been established and they have uh, had all the joys of being a unified kingdom, but then things have gotten really ugly because of immorality. At this point, there is a terrible reigning uh, spiritual darkness in Israel. There's a king who is uh, completely irresponsible. His name is Ahab, and he kind of allows the throne to be run by his wife, who you may know her name, Jezebel. And, uh, th- and sh- this is the reigning uh, darkness over the land. And God raises up a prophet. And you remember what happens with this prophet. It's an amazing thing. In the midst of this, Elijah wants to remind the people of Israel that God is the authority, that God is in charge, that God is strong, and that we must fear him and we must submit to him. And so because Baal, the gods that are being worshipped, because Jezebel has introduced them uh, into the land, because Ahab has not taken responsibility as the king, what happens is, is that there's this constant confrontation that's happening between Elijah and King Ahab, and there's this tension. Well, finally, it gets to the point where there's a breaking point and God wants to prove himself to the people of Israel. And so this is what he says. He goes to the people of Israel and listen to this. I absolutely love what he says here in verse 8 in chapter 18 verse 24. 1 Kings 18:24. He says, "You call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord." That's Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. I love that. They're like, let's make this simple. Let's do this. Get your dad. I'll get my dad. And they'll fight. And whoever wins, that's the winner. Okay, that's what happened. You know, here's your God. Here's my God. Who are we praying to? Who drops the fire? Who brings the heat? And whoever does it, that's who we serve. And the people were like, sounds right. Sounds simple enough. Verse 36 to 40, we know what happens. Elijah starts pouring all the water. At first, Baal doesn't show up, and he just ruthlessly makes fun of him. You know, I don't know, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation, but I don't know where he is. And he's, he's like taunting them, you know, making, because he's making a mockery of the fact. that He's like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. We're worshiping a non-god. That's what we're worshiping. And he says, take all the buckets you have and dump them on the altar full of water. Let's do this right. Verse 36, after it happens and the fire drops and it's all consumed. At the time of the offering of oblation, 
Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Listen, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and he slaughtered them there. We forget sometimes about how fierce God is. When it comes to protecting his kids, and when it comes to standing for what is good and right, our God is not afraid to be strong. He is not afraid to be fierce. And is the God of yesterday and the God of today and tomorrow, the God who does not change. He is the same. The God of the New Testament is not a different one than the Old Testament. God will return again and he will return with strength. And he will return with authority. And in the meantime, he continues to ask us to trust him. I want to look at two more stories, okay? Another big, big one in the Old Testament here. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel's full of these kind of stories. Daniel chapter 3, you remember King Nebuchadnezzar, again, biggest, baddest dude in the, in the universe at the time, sets up a big image of himself and is trying to get everyone to worship it. A few young Hebrews want nothing to do with it. And they happen to be people who are working for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 3, starting in verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, "Um, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, the bagpipe, you know when the bagpipe starts, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands. You see who I am? Who can deliver you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, we're not afraid of you. My dad can beat up your dad. 
and he's got this. He will protect us. So they get tossed in, and then we know what happens. Christ shows up and saves them, protects them. Down in verse 27, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. I love that. The fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their clothes were not harmed, and there was no smell of fire come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own God. Amen? Awesome faith. Awesome faith. Those stories go on and on all across the pages of the Old Testament. And the reason that these people are famous in faith is because in spite of all the odds, in spite of what the general group think was, what all, all the basic mentality of the world was around them, they decided to hear what the Lord said, to trust him, to take him at his word, and say no matter what stands against me, whether it's a wall of water and an Egyptian army, or a huge giant, whether it's a fire that I'm about to be thrown into. It doesn't matter. My God is over all of it and my dad can handle it. And there's one thing I have to do. Trust my dad. That's what they needed. And that's what they did because they were like, my dad can handle it. My dad can take it. He can do it. There's one more that I just think is spectacular and it's in the New Testament. And I'm just going to walk you through this one um, real briefly, but it starts in Acts chapter 4, and it's right after these guys have seen Jesus rise from the dead. The greatest of all enemies, we're told the greatest of all enemies is death. And Christ overcame death. It says, death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? He's removed the venom from death. The greatest thing that people fear is the one who can take their life. And we are told, don't fear the one who can take your physical life. That's not the one to fear. Fear the one who holds the powers over hell and heaven. That's the one to fear. And what happens is the, the apostles have just seen Jesus conquer death and rise again. And they start speaking from the fire of the presence of God inside of them. And they start proclaiming the truth. And the truth they proclaim is that Christ has resurrected. And that he has power. And that power is for them. And as they proclaim this good news, they say, This Jesus who you hung on a tree is risen and conquered death. And he is alive. And he is for us. And the authorities of the day grab Peter and John and they say, you cannot preach in this name. You are not allowed to preach in this name. And in chapter 4 of Acts and in verse 19, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And they speak the truth despite the fact that the, that the authority figure is trying to cramp them down and squeeze them and say, you need to depend on us instead of depending on God. And they said, no, 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 my dad, my dad. And so the, what happens is, is over, over the course of the next few days, things get awesome in the church. There's all sorts of things going on. They kind of beat the guys up, and, but then they get set free. God miraculously keeps freeing these guys. When you get down to chapter 5, there's this awesome moment 
27 to 32. And when they had brought them, this is again, they bring uh, Peter and John because they keep preaching. They brought them before the council. And the high priest, the reigning spiritual leader of the time and political leader of their, their uh, nation, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us as if it wasn't already there. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as the leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And this is what they're saying. Look, you can only count on a few things. You know, when, when, you're, when you're figuring out what to count on, you've got to figure out where your foundation is. And we realize you're the religious leaders. We realize you're the ones in power. But here's the deal, is that we saw with our own eyes that this man rose from the grave and the Holy Spirit has filled us and he has told us to proclaim the truth that all of us who would wish to be in submission with the God of the universe need to trust in Jesus. And so we are here proclaiming the truth that we know that we must stand in him and submit to him. And you are trying to get us to not submit to him. We have no choice. Come what may, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come what may, but we will not stop speaking the truth. We need to hear this message today. We need to hear this message in America today. We are on the brink of significant change. And we need to feel the authority of our God. We need to forget that it, God is not just the one who can protect us, but he is the one who will fight for us. And if we will take him at his word, and if we will step boldly in faith, we need to not be intimidated by any of the changes in our world. We need to not be intimidated by what any governmental figure or what any world figure or any threat or any of that. God can protect us from disease. He can protect us from armies. He can protect us from natural atrocities. He did it all the time for his people when they trusted him. But it says for those who obey him, those who believe him, those who stand face to knee with the giant, those who stand there against the wall of water with the Egyptians behind them, those who say no matter what, I trust in his word and I believe in it. And to that extent, God will fight for us every time. All right, listen, we only have a little bit more time, but that wasn't the text for today. Okay, um, and that was all to get us warmed up to read the text for today. Okay, we need to be reminded, and you'll see why in just a minute. Okay, join me in prayer. God, we thank you for these stories of faith that have encouraged us today. We thank you, Jesus, for the reminders of all those who believed in their dad and who trusted their dad. We thank you, Jesus, for the fact that these stories have been written down and that there are people who have died Many, many people who have died in order to make sure that we still have these stories of faith written in this text so that we can hold on and remember the truth of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the, the truth of the God of the angel armies, the truth of the God who fights for us.
the truth of Jesus conquering death and living among us and within us. We thank you for that, God. In the name of Jesus, I ask that in this, this uh, last little bit of time here we have in, in our Hebrews text, that God, you would speak to us about our own faith right now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12 <clears throat> starts off with a uh, famous passage about, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which is all, these are the, Hebrews 11 is that chapter where it talks all about those people we were just talking about and, ma- and many others. And it says, therefore, in the beginning of chapter 12, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people of faith that we just talked about, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that can so easily entangle us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The other day, I saw a, a magazine, and on the magazine cover was an actor who once played a character named Ivan Drago. Anybody remember who Ivan Drago was? Most of you probably didn't see that movie. Rocky IV. Okay? It was about the Cold War in a boxing ring. (laughs) And it was a Russian guy named Ivan Drago who would be akin to Goliath. He was a machine. And he was unbeatable. Perfect specimen of a man. And then there was this broken dude from West Philly, South Philly, named Rocky. And what Rocky knew how to do that no one else knew how to do was to take a beating and to keep going. And he became the definition of a Philadelphia athlete. And now all the heroes of Philadelphia athletics are those who can take a beating and get back up. Right, And that's what, that's what Philadelphia loves is those who can be raw and can kind of work through it and be all bloody and a mess and can still hang in there and endure. What this says is, is it says, consider Jesus who was abused and beaten by sinners all over the place. And remember, you have not yet shed blood in your resistance of sin. Look at your big brother. Look at what he does. To resist distrusting his father. Everyone and everything called him to not trust his dad. And to the point of death, as the enemy is chirping in his ear, I got this, I'll give it to you, don't worry about it. You don't have to suffer, you don't have to, I'll give it to you, I got you. Sweating blood, being pounded with nails, thorns, the whole thing, the whipping, the scourging, all the way to the point of death. Not my will, but yours be done. My dad will win the day. And what we're told is consider him because we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood in our struggle against sin. I want to remind us of something today. And that's that we are saved by the grace of God. And that he loves us not because of our own efforts, not because of our own ability, but because of what Christ did on a cross. With that said, with that said, it is imperative that we also understand 
that it is still our call and our desire to be completely and totally submitted to God and his plans for our life. And the reason that he restores us and reunites us is so that we can be in perfect union with him. And if I take that grace for granted that God has given me and I don't struggle against sin, then I'm missing the point. I still have a war to fight in my life. I still have a battle that he's given to me. And that is to resist the temptation of the enemy to trust myself or to trust anything that the enemy says, but instead to hold on to God, to grab a hold of the truth of his word and with every fiber of my being to say, I will trust God to show me how to live. And even when everything says to live a different way, I will choose to trust God. And in our struggle against sin, we have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood, and so we are told to consider Jesus. Consider him. Look at how much he trusted God. Keep reading with me. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. How does the Lord discipline us? He disciplines us in a number of ways. You know that conscience that we feel when we do something wrong? That's inborn discipline. To the extent that we listen to that, it continues to function well. When you start to tune out your authority figures, then your authority figures have no say in your life. God's conscience speaks to us. But, you know, there, there can be a parent who really loves a child, but if the child consistently chooses to not listen to mom or dad, then their voice is no longer effective in their life. And so they can kind of tune that out. In the same way with our conscience, when God lays something on us, we have to listen to the Spirit's conviction in our life. That's discipline. Circumstances can be discipline in our life. When we get up against tough times and we get up against tough people and we struggle in, in, in the difficulties of the relationships, those can be discipline in our life. God can use anything that's difficult in our life to be disciplined for us. Now, discipline is very different than punishment. Punishment has to do with making sure you pay for something you did wrong. Discipline is training you to do right, learning how this is supposed to work. And God uses all sorts of difficulties to do that. But the assumption is, is that we're not right, and we need to be disciplined. We need to be trained. God wants to develop in a self-discipline, but first he becomes the discipline, the one who's disciplining. And it says, since we are struggling against sin and we haven't resisted yet to the point uh, of shedding of blood, hold on to the discipline of the Lord and don't be weary of it. Don't give up. Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. So when they were up against the sea, and the Egyptians were back here. Do you know what was happening? That wasn't about God trying to get rid of Egyptians. What it was primarily about was teaching his children to trust their dad instead of trust themselves. They had to go from being slaves and orphans to being children of God. And that was a moment of discipline. He was disciplining them. Let me show you. I'm going to put you in a very difficult situation where it's extremely hard to trust me, and I'm going to deliver you. And the more that happens, the more they learn to trust him. And the more they learn to trust him, the more they stand in confidence in God and who they are in their relationship with their father. Okay? So here we go. Verse uh, 7. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Unfortunately, there's a whole lot these days. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, if you are left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And this is what we're dealing with. It's an epidemic across our nation right now is that we, many of us are acting as illegitimate children because we have not received true instruction, true discipline that gives us the confidence to stand in what is right. Okay. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, hopefully. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And this word subject would be akin to like submitted. So shall we not also be submitted to our Father in heaven, the Father of spirits, and live? If we want what's good for us, we have to submit ourselves under the tension of what God brings into our life and we have to learn to trust God. Verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time, that's the earthly fathers, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Listen to why. That we may share in his holiness. Again, this is God's call for us. His call for us. It's not our holiness that gains his respect. His grace and his love is given to us freely through the cross, but because of that, he now calls us into his holiness. And if we are not fighting to, to find ourselves more inside of his holiness, if I'm not looking in my life and looking through the word and saying, how can I be more submitted to you, God? Then I'm missing some, a big part of the point of what's going on here. Okay, and he says, that's the point. Now, verse 11. For at the moment, all discipline seems painful, true, rather than pleasant. How many of us are like, oh, you know, can, can I get a lick there? Can you hit me with that belt? You know, can, you, can I get the time out, Dad? You know, whatever. None of us want that. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I have this buddy who's a missionary in Uganda, and uh, he was telling, I remember uh, Jen and I, before we had kids, he had already started having kids, and they have, I don't know how many kids now, five kids or something. And he talked about how difficult there was this one period where they had three kids that were all like a year apart. And he said how tough it was in these years where they were having, they felt like, he, he was like, my only job in life is to discipline my kids right now is what it feels like. And I hate disciplining my kids. I hate it because I love my kids and I don't want to see pain on them. But, I, but like they're just bad. They're constantly doing what they're not saying, and I'm constantly having to teach them. And then he, and that, it was that period of his life, and what he, it was actually like two years after that that he wrote this thing, and he said, that was such a difficult time in my life, but looking back, he's like, my kids are so good right now. A couple years later, after learning kind of how it works, and learning that we didn't want bad for them, we wanted good for them. And now we just have a ton of fun together. But it took all that time of being consistent with discipline. That's what the Lord's saying. He's like, as you learn to trust me when you get into difficult times, instead of pushing against me, instead of saying, forget God's way, I'm going to do it my way, instead of getting angry and fighting it out with those next to me, instead of taking what's mine, all that, if I learn to trust God in difficult times, eventually it produces a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, verse 12, listen to this. Lift your drooping hands. Rocky, get them up. <laughs> Strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame 
may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You hear that? We won't even see the Lord if there isn't that holiness. The point is, is he's bringing us into conformity to his image. And as he conforms us, the more that we are conformed into his image and his likeness and into his way, the more we can see him. And so if we say, check, I got the free pass from God to heaven, so I'm going to kind of go do what I want now. Again, we're missing the point. The point is I want to draw close to the Lord. I want to walk close with him. And like David, say, I yearn for your precepts. Teach me your law. You're my father. You love me. You're the one who created this all. Teach me how it works and bring me into it. Okay? Where did I go? Strive for peace. Verse, uh, verse 15 now. See to it that no one fails to obtain grace, the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Keep going. Verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in the festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At this time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. That whole shaking, fire, smoke, Moses, what's that all about? What's that referring to? What story is that referring to? Do you remember? Anyone? Receiving the Ten Commandments. It's not Mount Zion, it's Mount Sinai. And I want to turn there for a second. This is the last point we need to make today. It's Exodus chapter 20. Starting in verse 18. 
Exodus 20, 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Do you remember seeing um, in 9-11? Yeah, you remember the moment when the towers were coming down and there was just debris and dust flying everywhere and you see people running down the streets screaming, covered in ash. It was just a horrific moment. And what we normally see of people was completely different on that day. People who would hold themselves with great confidence. People who would hold themselves perhaps with even swagger walking the streets of New York. On that day, ran afraid like little children. And this is what happens to the people of Israel. For all the complaining and for all of the griping and moaning that the people of Israel were going through on a regular basis in this moment, they were afraid. They saw the mountain shaking. They saw smoke. They heard the voice of the Lord. They saw lightning all over the place. There was earthquakes. There was all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And in the midst of that, they said, <clears throat> here it is, verse 19. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said, this is, this is one of those peculiar verses across the Bible that is, um, it, it's worth really, really digging into. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is his comfort to them. Don't be afraid of God. Don't be afraid right now. God came to test you to make sure that you're afraid of him. That's what he said. Because what they were afraid was that they were going to die. And he's like, don't be afraid of death. God came to teach you that he is stronger than death. And so what you need in this moment is to not be afraid of death. But what you do need to be in this moment is afraid of the Lord. Strength is something that our country right now and our culture doesn't know how to handle very easily. In our world, standing for something with absolute conviction, saying this is right and this is wrong, and if you are on the wrong side or wrong, guess what? I feel bad for you maybe, but it is what it is. And we can't change it. That sort of mentality is something that our world doesn't know how to do, how to handle that. We're growing less and less comfortable as a culture with that kind of strength. You know, the, the reigning dominant morality that is emerging in our culture is something called tolerance, which means that, you know, each person defines what their own sense of morality is and we have to figure out how to work together. That whole thing is a complete sham and a lie of the enemy. It doesn't even make, it doesn't even make logical sense. Tolerance is not a morality. There's nothing solid that we believe in. It's only what we're saying we can't enforce. To believe in a moral absolute only happens because we believe in a father who has the authority to speak that absolutely and that we can trust him to back that up. I don't care if we're a Republican or a Democrat, if we call ourselves Christians or whatever other religion we call ourselves. If we do not know God personally, 
If we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven, if we don't know him, then no matter what camp we find ourselves or what we call ourselves, we have nothing to stand on. Because the definer of reality is the one who created this world and the one who can back it up. And we find ourselves in a need right now of men and women who will stand strong in their knowledge of God, who will believe and trust in him and take him at his word and trust not just that the logic of the word of God makes sense, but that they will put God to the test when it counts. That like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will stick their neck out when it counts. Like John and Peter, that they will speak the truth when the truth is unwelcome. And the way we get to that place is by trusting in a father who is also saying to me, and this is the important thing, is that I understand that I have a father who is also saying to me, he will speak the truth whether I welcome it or not. The strength that we need to stand in this world is the strength that we receive by watching our God. And this is the important thing. This is one of the things that, that can be real difficult is when you see your child wanting something and wanting life to go a certain way, but you know what is right and wrong, and you want to bend in order to make them happy, in order to appease them, but you know in the long haul, it's not going to help them. And so I have to stand in the truth. The Word of God will not return void, and God will not bend who He is or what He believes is true just for the comfort of His children. And when I find myself disciplined because I'm on the wrong side of God, then I am reminded that there is a strength that's bigger than me. I have this great memory of this guy right here um, in, the, in the blue striped shirt. Th this one was just born, okay? We were in Ephrata, and this one was just born. He was a baby, and he was sitting on a table outside on our, 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 on our, uh, in our backyard on a our table, and then we had a, a, a rock flower garden, a little one, and it had all these um, zinnias there, uh, planted in there, and Evan was only 16 months old or, or somewhere in there, you know, he's a year and a half old, and he goes over, you know, a tiny little guy like this, and he goes over to a zinnia, and he pops one off, you know, and they're, they're, not, they're not Gerber daisies, you have a few more than just one, but you don't have a ton of them, you know, and so like, then they pop it off, you're like, ah, we've been working on that thing. So I say, no, you know, and I go over and I tap his hand like this, and he like looks up at me, you know, and then he goes over to the next plant, and he looks up at me, and he touches the next one, and he looks up at me, and I said, no, and then he goes over to the next one, and he touches it, and he walks all the way down the line, and he touches every single one of them, and he's not even two years old yet, and he touches every single one of them and looks up at me to see what I'm going to say. No, 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 and he's like, Okay, and then he just went and played, you know? And it was this moment where he was learning reality. Do, okay, so I wasn't allowed to touch this one, but then am I allowed to touch that one? No. And at first, like, I was like, wait, what are you doing? You know, but he's like not even two years old, you know? But I could tell that he was learning. And what he was learning is where is the boundary here? How does this work? And see, if we want to know that there is one who will fight for us, then we also have to be willing to submit to the authority of the one who will fight for us. 
Let me explain how this works. The safest place that I ever feel in my life is when I sense the powerful presence of God. Sometimes I've told people before, that, and this is going to not make sense to, to most of you, but for me, one of the safest times that I feel in my life is when there's a huge storm rage, raging, and the sea is an incredibly fierce sea, and I'm out on it with my surfboard. And in that moment, I can feel the pressure of a wave push me up. And I'm sitting here, sitting on my board, and all of a sudden, whoop, I go up about 10 feet, and then, whoom, right back down. And I'm like, whoa, the force of that thing. And what that reminds me of is that the power in this world and the authority in this world is so much bigger than me. And it doesn't rest in me. That I'm not in control of my own life. That I'm not the definer of my reality. And my job is not to say what is and what isn't. My job is to submit to the one who says what is and what isn't. And in that moment, I realized this, I don't live my life based on trying hard to figure it out and to be strong enough and to build my brain and my muscles enough to be able to handle it. I have one job, to learn to know what my Father says and to trust Him. And if I do, I can trust that my dad will beat up any enemy that I have. And I can trust him for that. I recently read this article. Here it is. It's a closing statement here. I recently read this article in a secular magazine that said that Americans right now are more afraid than they've ever been in known history. That there are statistics. I don't know how they figured it all out. Massive surgery and a massive survey. And that, this, that uh, Americans are more afraid of, uh, of whatever than they've ever been before. And what, what the statistics also showed was on almost every category that Americans are actually more safe than they've ever been. There's better health care. The streets are safer. We have better uh, boundaries around our country. All these things that we're actually safer than we've ever been, and yet we're more afraid than we've ever been. Why is that? And here's what my conclusion is. We cannot trust the one. We cannot trust that we'll be protected because we will not trust the one who can protect us. We cannot trust that we will be protected because we choose not to trust the one who can protect us. And so we have big guns, and we have great health care, and we have all of that, but deep inside of us, every one of us knows that that is frail, that it can all crumble, and it can all fall apart. But there's one who will stand. The word of the Lord will stand forever. And whether I feel safe or whether I feel in danger has to do with how well I am submitted to the word of God. And when I submit myself to the Word of God and I trust my Father, then I know I don't care what comes against me. It might be a giant, it might be a wall of water, it might be a fiery furnace, but I'm as safe as I've ever been. As I've ever been. You throw me into that furnace, he's going in with me. I stand against the giant, bring it. I don't really care because I have God with me, but give me all the safety, all the security, all the money, all the stuff that I have, but my heart is not submitted to God and I'm going to start to fear. And it will eat me away. But when I know my dad, then I trust him. And I say, man, I don't like it, God, when I have to live this way. And Jesus says this in his John 17 prayer. He says, I pray that you will not take them out of the world, 
I pray you will protect them from the evil one and you will sanctify them by the truth. And my word is true. Amen? Jesus, we honor and reflect that prayer. We want the same thing for us right now, that you would not take us out of this world, that we wouldn't say, oh, we wish we lived in a different time, or we wish we lived in different circumstances, or we wish more people believed in this or believed in that, or that our government was this way, or that culture was this way, or entertainment was this way. Forget it. We wish that ISIS wasn't a threat. We wish that the stock market was more firm. We wish none of it, God. None of it. What I wish in my heart is that I would be fully, totally, wholeheartedly devoted and submitted to you so that on the day of the fire I have confidence that my God will fight for me. May it be so among us in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.